0: Um, Before I do that, I'm going to release the kids. Who is taking the kids this morning? I'm going to release them on their own. I'm just kidding. We have a teacher down there, and and, uh, Bob is bringing them down. So Tim Bissell, Tim Bissell is teaching the kids this morning. So they're gone. Whether we have a teacher or not, they took off. (laughs) We're going to continue our series in the parables, and this morning we have just a short couple verses, but powerful, um, with one very, very simple thought, I believe, that is gleaned from them, that Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples. So let's just take a minute and pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. We thank you that it sets for us, our paradigm on how to think about you and your kingdom. Your word is the measure, your word is truth. We recognize that we are to not adjust your word to us, but to adjust ourselves. To what your word says, and so we ask this morning that you would, by your spirit, in the way that only you can, illuminate the words of your scripture to our hearts this morning. Light it up in our hearts, speak to us, open our hearts to it. Somehow, by your spirit, change us to be like the men described in this parable, God, I ask. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. We are in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 44 to 46. I see some new folks today. My name is Jeremy Callie, one of the elders here at Renovation, and uh, I'm excited to be talking to you this morning about this passage. Um, this is one of those parables that I think many of us, if you grew up in the church or even if you haven't, you've probably heard of it before. It's a, it's a familiar passage, and my prayer this morning for each of us is that somehow we know it in a way that we haven't known it before. Does that make sense? That, that God would somehow... Um, do something in our hearts that we know it um, in the depths of our soul and it begins to adjust our life. As I, as I looked at this passage over the last couple of weeks, in particular very closely over this week, I, I began to pray that for myself. My prayer this morning as we get into the Word of God for me, and I, and I hope it becomes your prayer as we do this together, is that God would somehow by His Spirit adjust me. I recognize that in my own sin, in life i need god to fix my heart how many of you guys recognize that in your lives this morning i need him to fix my heart i need him to adjust me and as we see jesus addressing the parables this is a time in jesus's ministry where many of the the great crowds have kind of gone away many of the great Crowds have kind of filtered down and Jesus is communicating really at this time to folks who have kind of remained, folks who have stuck through, it's, it's whittled down from just those uh, those hearts that were like his prior parable may be different types of soil that didn't last, or that were choked out or that were shallow. But as Jesus addresses these particular parables, it is whittled down to, to disciples. It's whittled down to folks whose hearts were like the soil that, that are really beginning to grow and, and God's bringing increase in their hearts. So it's a little bit of a smaller crowd and, and Jesus is speaking to them um, in these two parables about the kingdom of heaven. And you've heard addressed in other gospels the kingdom of God or the kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven. These are not two different things. We see in scripture that it's the same. Matthew is, is the only writer who addresses the kingdom of heaven. And it is synonymous with the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. But here we see Jesus speaking to disciples and a few others uh, in parable form. Um, and just let me remind you, as we look at the parables, don't get lost in the details. These aren't meant to, um, for you to, to sit and think for hours about what does the field mean? What, is the, what does the treasure mean? What does this mean? It's not really about that. This is, this is a parable. This is a story about common life that, that relates to folks but brings forth a truth about the kingdom of God, and, and he does it in parable form so that we can grasp it and be impacted by it. Let's read it together in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. In search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we have two men here, right? A man who, in working this field, stumbles across a treasure, and he goes and he sells all he has, and in great joy, he sells all he has and buys the field. The second man we have is a man who is a merchant who is in search of, of fine pearls. He's, he's searching that out as, as his vocation, is his career. And he finds and comes across a pearl of exceeding value, of great value. And he goes, and again, he sells all that he has so that he can buy and have this incredibly valuable pearl. A similar Uh, story that was referenced in MacArthur's book on the parables and that I looked up on CNN. Um, In February of 2014, we see a couple. I don't know if many of you remember this in the news. I do. This couple, um, in February 2014, they're an undisclosed couple. They don't want anyone to know who they are, and you'll understand why when I tell you what happened to them. They're walking down the path in their yard, and they look under the tree, and they see some cans starting to protrude from the dirt. And as they dig them up, they find over 1,400 gold coins. How many of you guys would like that to happen to you in your yard? So some of you are going to go dig holes in the yard today. <laughs> over 1,400 gold coins, and they're a Northern California couple, and these coins were from the, the gold rush era in California in the 1800s, sometime between um, 1847 and 1894, and they lived near the gold rush area. They dug up these cans, and they found more cans, and they found more cans, and they found more cans, and they started digging them up until they found over 1,400 gold rare coins, one of which was worth, in and of itself, just one coin, over a million dollars. The entire collection was worth over $10 million. Not a bad day, right? How many of you guys think they were glad they bought that property (laughs) that they lived on? How many of you have ever been tempted to just start digging holes? I have. I've thought about it. <clears throat> you know, this this uncommon in our day because we use banks, right? In, in particularly in the gold rush area, you could think the guy that collected that probably thought, I'm going to bury this you know, so nobody finds it, and who knows what happened to him. In Jesus' day, it was less uncommon. They didn't really have banks there was the possibility of war, people taking over different territories, and so many people would take their treasure or their fortune, and they would bury it. They would hide it. And so Jesus tells the parable of the man who goes. And, and he likens it, and this is, this is really what we're to contemplate this morning, he likens it to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who, he's working on the field, and this particular guy, um, some of you are maybe thinking through the ethics of this, that's not the point of the story, Okay? <laughs> Should he have buried it? Should he have, have, uh, have not told the person who owned the property at the time? And honestly, I actually looked into that a little bit, and, and, and the person who owned the property didn't know it was there. Otherwise, it wouldn't be sitting there under the ground, right? So he, he buries it, and the guy who owned the property, if he knew the treasure was there, wouldn't have sold it, right, the field. So under the law at that time, it really wasn't unethical. Kind of a finder's keeper's type of deal but he he goes in and he finds this thing he stumbles across it potentially working the field and he goes and think of think of the joy that he felt just think of it for a moment can you imagine you stumble across this you dig it up and there's this amazing treasure and you think okay i'm going to throw some dirt back on this right i'm going to bury it and i'm going to go sell everything i have because listen to this this value judgment he's making Everything that I have is nothing in comparison to this great treasure I just found in this field. I mean, he can't leave the field quick enough to sell everything he has to get the money to buy the field because in the field is this incredible treasure. I think we have to ask ourselves first a question. What is the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus talking about? What is this kingdom? And we've been addressing parables about the kingdom of heaven. What we find in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. And if you have your Bibles you can flip to it. I am sorry because of my schedule over the last week and the weekend. I do not have uh, (laughs) verses for, for Katie to put up for you. But I will read them. And you can listen, or you can grab your Bible and just just pull them up. But in Philippians chapter three, verse twenty, it says this: "But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior." the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this kingdom of heaven? This kingdom of heaven is really um, salvation. This kingdom of heaven is really the idea that Jesus would reign and he would rule your life. The idea that Jesus is the king of this kingdom and his reign is forever. This is an unsearchable, invaluable, never-ending kingdom of God that the Bible makes clear we don't always see right now. We, we, we see it dimly or we, we don't, it's not of this world it says in the book of john but the kingdom of god as we see in revelation is is going to culminate and in the new heavens and the new earth will be a kingdom where god reigns and rules forever but today the kingdom of heaven in your life is the reign and the rule of the lord jesus christ in your life every day is the kingdom of heaven amen so that's what we see what is this kingdom that we should value so much It's the reign and the rule of Jesus in your life. Christ is the undisputed king. He is Lord of all. Salvation, that place where the redeemed have their true citizenship, as it says in the book of Philippians. Our home is not here. Amen? But we are citizens of another place where Jesus reigns and rules. It's not defiled by sin. It's not a place where there's sadness, where there's tears, where there's brokenness. It's where Jesus today, in this place that we live, um, before the culmination of the kingdom of God when he returns, where he comes and he reigns and he rules in our hearts in this place. It's not currently, the kingdom of God is not currently a geopolitical um, uh, reality. It's not a place where it's geographically on a map. It's not a place, thank God, how many of you guys have been watching debates? It's not a political place. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 says this. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. I was at a funeral yesterday. A little baby that was killed. And uh, we... uh, I sat in the service and listened to a good friend of mine who was presiding over a very, very, very difficult funeral. And he talked of this hope. This hope that is our confident expectation. As this little baby stepped into the kingdom of God in a moment. Where Jesus reigns and rules. Where in Revelation it says... Sorry. He will wipe away every tear. So our hope and our confident expectation is this kingdom is real. It's more real than what we're experiencing now. And he will wipe away every tear. He will make it all right. And it's hard for us, I think, on this side of the kingdom of heaven, to to recognize, and I think that's our prayer this morning, and it's really the main point of this parable, the value of it, you hear what I'm saying this morning? It's hard for us. We get so distracted. We get so caught up in the value of other things that without the Spirit of God working in our hearts and doing something in our spirit, we don't readily recognize the great value of the kingdom of God. Because really, that's what this parable is about. It's a value assessment. The man who finds it in the field with great joy, very quickly sells everything he has to buy this land because of its treasure. Listen to Bloomberg um, in his book, Preaching the Parables. He says this in reference to this parable. True disciples are those who recognize that God's kingdom is so valuable that it is worth sacrificing whatever it takes to be its citizens. Amen? It's so valuable the true disciples recognize sacrificing anything, whatever it takes to be a citizen, is a good deal. If you were to give up everything, if you were this morning to lose everything you have, everything you think is valuable, family, wealth, position, power, uh, cars, houses, clothing, um, Uh, success at your job, success in athletics, anything that you've pursued, anything that you've put value in, anything that you love, if you were to lose it all today to gain the kingdom of God, it's a good deal. It is a good deal to lose everything and gain the kingdom, amen? That is the purpose of this parable. The kingdom is so valuable that losing everything to get it is a great deal. This parable, this passage is really about value. We make value judgments every day, don't we? I do. I make value judgments every day, whether it be about money, whether it be about time, whether it be about my kids and what they're doing and and what activities we're involved in. Whether it be job decisions, what kind of job am I going to have? I really enjoy this job more, but it pays less. Or I could have a less uh, enjoyable job that maybe doesn't bring as much value to my life and make more money. Or I could spend my time doing these things or spend my time doing that. What things do I pursue we make value judgments about our leisure time, do we not? I mean, if, if you were to really gauge what America or what folks mostly value in our culture, I would say sometimes when you think about it, it's leisure, isn't it? Getting to that moment where I can rest, getting that, to that moment where I can relax. I know people that the whole pursuit of their life is to work their tail off, make as much money, boost their retirement as, as, as far as they possibly can for the sole purpose of living somewhere warm and chasing a white ball for the rest of their life. The most frustrating sport on the planet, is it not? And yet it's the pursuit of some people's lives. What do we value? We make value judgments every day. And what God is declaring to us in His Word through this parable, as Jesus as Jesus declares it to His disciples, is that there is something of such surpassing value that is worth so much more that if you were to lose everything, sell everything, give up everything that you think is important, just to gain it, it was it would be immeasurably a good deal. How amazing! And my prayer this morning is, God, help me by your spirit to recognize the value of your reign and rule in my life. Help me to recognize by your spirit the value of what it means to look to your kingdom before I look to everything else that I think so often, minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, that these things are so important, and the reality is they are absolute rubbish compared to your kingdom. I need his help. In this regard, the Apostle Paul almost declares this in his letter to the Philippians exactly. He almost, uh, the closest thing to this parable uh, that the Apostle Paul says in his letters is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, I'll give you a minute to get there, I know it's not on the screen, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 you got the app on your phone. It's really quick. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is a remarkable paradox in the language. I count it all as loss, everything. And here's Paul prior to this particular verse talking about how he is the Pharisee of Pharisees, how he has lived up to the law, how he has a particular status, a a particular uh, capability in in being, really, he has said, a Jew of Jews. And and, and those things that, that the folks would think were so important, were so valuable, Paul declares, everything I've attained, everything I've done, I count it as loss. I have lost everything. So you hear in in one part of Paul's language, I've given up and I've lost everything, but at the same time, he says, in giving up and losing everything, I count that all as garbage compared to the worth of gaining Christ Jesus. So he says, I've lost everything, but really I haven't lost anything, right? I've lost everything, but I haven't lost anything. I remember as a young teenager, I had responded to the gospel as a boy in a very real, genuine way, and then I remember as a young teenager struggling through teenage things, right? Things that seem so important, and I remember thinking as a a kid in youth group, listening to the gospel being preached from my youth pastor, and, and, and thinking about the fact that my parents had brought me to church my whole life, and I remember kind of having this moment of contemplation. Very deep in my heart where I said, geez, if I believe this, then it should matter, right? If this is real, it should have significance in my life. Maybe I should change the way I'm behaving. And I remember just in my teenage mind thinking that would require adjusting friendships. That would require... you know god working in my life in such a way that i behaved differently in the way that i did some things in school and around people and 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 maybe my time would be spent differently maybe there's there's some ways that if i really valued god and it was really real that my life would begin to change and, and give up some things that seem so important. And as I began to pursue Christ, as he changed my heart and drew me to himself, I began to realize, I remember moments thinking what Paul articulates in Philippians, that I really haven't given up anything because in comparison to living with God reigning and ruling in my life and guiding my life and directing my life and taking my life where he wants it to go, all the stuff I thought I gave up, all the stuff I thought that was so important was absolute garbage. meant nothing. I know for me it's time for me in light of this passage, in light of Philippians to maybe get a little introspective. How about you? I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm 40 this month. Amen. <laughs> My 30s are over. And as I look to the next decade, I've been thinking, what do I value? What are these things, I think, that are so important? What garbage that moth and rust will take away? What things of this life that at the end of time mean nothing am I pursuing? Do I really recognize the great treasure available to me? And if I do, should I not run out and sell everything I own? Get rid of anything that it takes to have it. My prayer is that God would do that in my heart and yours as well. Paul's accounting in Philippians chapter 3 really begins to change as he does an accounting of his life. Think about it, power, prestige, and obedience to the laws of Pharisee, he now counts as loss. They go in the loss column. But the crucified Messiah that he had thought was a loss is now seen as the ultimate gain. His wins in loss column, his gain in loss column completely flip-flopped. And he recognized all the things that he thought were important were loss and the ultimate gain was Jesus. Matthew 16, 25 and 26. Jesus says it this way. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soil? I think people are blind. I think the word describes the reality that many people are blind to the value of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, why do we see, why do we see so few Christians living sacrificially towards the kingdom of God? Why, as I look into my life, do I so often demonstrate a value towards other things as opposed to the kingdom of God? As we head in into and through 2016 as this church um, has laid out a vision where we say, you know, our, our pursuit is the glory of God that every man, woman, and child would hear a repeated opportunity to see, hear, and taste the gospel of Jesus Christ without having to go or come anywhere. As we look at our mission, as we look at the vision that God has given us in 2016 as Renovation Church, I think we have to begin to ask ourselves corporately, and we certainly have to do it individually. What has God called us to do? What are we running towards? What are we valuing in the way that we live every single day? Whether it be our time, our talent, our treasure, whatever it is we're pursuing, is it worth as much as the kingdom of God? And how can we sacrificially live into, lean into, and go after the kingdom of heaven in this place? Amen? Something we see in this passage that I think is unavoidable is in verse 44, the man ran and sold all that he had with great joy. Did he not? Look at it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. The kingdom of heaven is our source of real joy, right? Right? Listen, here's what we recognize, that every human being naturally pursues being happy. Is that not true? Come on, God put it in us. That's why in Matthew 16, he motivates us that way, doesn't he? If you want to gain your life, you got to lose it. If you lose your life, you gain it. How is that passage motivating us? It's motivating us because God recognizes inherently inside of us a desire to be happy, a desire to be filled with joy, Right? John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most, what, satisfied in him. God put in us this desire to be happy, this desire to experience joy, and what we see in this parable is the great joy that can be found in our hearts and in our lives is in a pursuit and in the gaining of the kingdom of heaven, not riches, not power, not prestige, not all the things we seek after, right? Think about this for a moment. I want to be happy every day. I I know it. It's intuitive. I wake up and I think I would be much happier if I could put food in my face right now. How many of you guys feel like that? And what do I immediately do? As quickly as possible. I would be much more comfortable if I was warm. I would be much happier if I, the problem in my office, I work at the DA's office, is every single pod of, of secretaries in different areas of the office seem to have donuts, uh, biscuits, muffins. Um, anybody else's office like that? No? You guys need to come to my office. we pursue happiness. I would be happier if I had that car. I would be happier if I had that job. I would be happier if I lived somewhere warmer. I would be happier if I could just get this, or I could just get that. Anybody else as a kid remember the crash after Christmas? It was just like, yes, this is awesome, this is awesome, and you're opening gifts, and you think that this incredible gift that you put on your list that you wanted your parents to get you so bad was gonna be the most amazing thing in the world, and it's amazing for like 10 minutes, right? And then you just want more. Then there's a crash. There's a, there's a, a, a Christmas hangover, right? There's a disappointment. Jeremiah calls it, Drinking from cisterns of dirt, as opposed to the living water in John chapter 4, where you never thirst again. The kingdom of God brings great joy. People are pursuing happiness in all the wrong things, they're pursuing joy in all the wrong things. We, many times, are pursuing satisfaction. In the things of this world, in the things that bring an immediate high, in the things that just make us feel better for a moment, in shopping and purchasing things and in doing other things. And what the kingdom of God declares to us is for us to, to change our loss. And our gain column, to flip it upside down and to recognize that real joy, that joy that goes beyond your ability to understand, the joy that comes from God, that does something in your heart that you just can't explain, it doesn't mean lack of difficulty, because in this world there'll be trouble, in this world there'll be tribulation. God talks about being our refuge, being our comfort, being our joy, and the reason the Word of God talks about it is because He recognizes we will go through great pain and great difficulty, but the difference between between the man who has the kingdom of heaven because he sold everything to purchase the field and the person that doesn't is that their joy comes from God, not things that fade away. And you can walk through difficulty and trouble and trial and tribulation in a way that recognizes that Jesus reigns and rules and the kingdom of heaven is real and it is yours. Forever. And it's incorruptible. It will not be tarnished with sin and sadness and sickness and pain, but God will come and bring to fruition the kingdom of God, and then His as His child, you get to live with Him for eternity, because Christ. And his death and his resurrection and his salvation and his forgiveness that he offers to us freely, it comes and it brings about the reality of the kingdom of heaven in our lives that will culminate in him returning someday. And there is nothing in your world or in my world that's more valuable than that. Amen? What really brings joy? Romans 14, 17 says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And he's talking about Jews arguing about um, whether or not they can eat certain kinds of meat. And he says, listen, the kingdom of God is not about that, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great news? Not everybody comes to the kingdom the same way. I think the other last point we can find between these two parables is you got a guy that stumbles over the great treasure in the field and is like, oh my goodness, look at this, and he runs and sells everything and buys the field. And then you have the merchant who is in pursuit, who is seeking this great pearl, and he finds it. You know what the difference is between those two men in terms of the result? Nothing. Nothing. They both recognize the value, sell everything they have for the kingdom of God. Whether or not you stumbled across the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life and you recognized through the spirit of God your great need and you have thrown your life upon him and relied on him for your salvation or whether or not you were a seeker who's pursued something and read and and searched out this idea of what's truth, what's truth and you have come across the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The result at the end of the day for both men is they get the kingdom of God, amen? This parable is about value, and it's as simple as that. What do we value? I don't, know a way. I don't know a way to make me value it, to make you value it. But I think at the end of the day, this very simple passage that talks to us about the surpassing value of the kingdom of heaven is this. If we don't value it so much that we're willing to let everything else go to have it, we need to seek God and ask Him to change our hearts. Amen? We need, to, we need to pursue Him and ask Him to change our hearts in such a way that this becomes our surpassing joy, to give up everything, to give up whatever it takes for the kingdom of God. Because at the end of the day, as Paul declares in Philippians, you give up nothing because all of it was garbage anyway in comparison to the kingdom of heaven. Amen? I'm going to close with this. This particular mom, who I've been working with as a prosecutor in my other job, who lost her little girl, called me on Wednesday night and said she was reading a devotional by Tim Keller and his wife. And that this prayer out of the devotional was absolutely sustaining and holding her through this difficult time. And it was a prayer that the pastor read to close the service yesterday, the funeral. And I want to read it for you. Because even in the midst of great loss, even in the midst of losing something as precious as this 21-month-old 20 month baby, The word of God demonstrated this to her. She found this. Listen to this prayer. Father, if I want to love life, I have to love you. And loving you means doing your will with gladness. Shine your face on me. Let me know your love so I can love you for who you are. Listen to this last sentence. Remind me that the only loss that is unbearable is to lose you in your presence. Amen. Even the loss of our family, those we love the most, even in that we can recognize because of the kingdom of heaven we'll see them again because of the kingdom of heaven, we recognize that is so much valuable. Even more valuable than the things we love the most. Amen? Let's pray. God, we recognize this morning that we need your help. We need your help in... Recognizing how valuable you are. Help us to feel it. Help us to know it. As my old pastor used to say, help us to know it in our knower. That thing deep in us that just knows. Help us to respond with great joy, the same kind of joy that this man who stumbled across the treasure in the field felt that that excitement, that joy that says, I have found something so valuable, I'll sell everything I own. Help us in our hearts to respond to you and the gospel and the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives. Just like that merchant who in his search, his lifetime vocational search, he comes across the pearl that is the most valuable he's ever seen. And he sells everything because he recognizes in his excitement that he has found the thing that is worth everything. God, my prayer is the implications of the value of your kingdom would radiate throughout our lives this year. That the implications of what it means to value the kingdom of heaven above all else the implications of that would radiate through the way we treat our, our, our family, the way we treat our jobs, the decisions we make, that it would become the foundational basis by which we decide everything. It would radiate through our budget. It would radiate through our time. It would radiate through what we do every day, every minute, every hour. Let the implications of your kingdom and its great value change our very lives. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said Thank you.